Do you have the time to listen to me whine? Hello, Chelsea friends and sports fans in general. Uh, This is your gracious host, Ryan Beck. And we have a very interesting guest today for a very interesting time in this country and really globally. And look, I'm not going to belabor certain points that are happening right now, but I just want to speak very quickly on something that happened in my hometown. Uh, I live in Salt Lake City. Okay, and if you look geographically at how not just Salt Lake City, but Salt Lake County and the state in and of itself is split, it is quite literally split down the middle as this true line of demarcation by Interstate I-15. It literally separates the east side from the west side. It's like the the Soches and the Greasers, and I'm not even kidding you. Um, And on the west side of I-15, it is heavily Hispanic. Now, I mean, most of my friends are from the west side of I-15 because I have been heavily involved in the soccer community my entire life, and that's where the best soccer is played. So most of my friends are from there. But I just want to say, if I'm looking at the differences in income, quality of life, and cost of living, the difference between the left and right side of I-15 is staggering. It is literally this pseudo Mason-Dixon line. And it's unbelievable because all of a sudden you you cross I-15 and every convenience store is all of a sudden in Spanish. Okay? T-Mobile's become Metro PCS's. And it's just, it's unbelievable. And what I saw on Saturday was because of the racial makeup of Salt Lake County, which is over 20% Hispanic or Latino, as opposed to almost barely even 2% uh, Black American, I actually saw more along the lines of a Brown Lives Matter movement, although the connotation and the spirit of what everybody was trying to get across was the Black Lives Matter movement, which Paul and I absolutely uh, support. But I just wanted to say that it's unfortunate that things get uh, circumvented and get hijacked and appropriated by bad actors. And when you have a big amount of people trying to have one thing going on, there's always going to be a couple bad actors that come in underneath and fuck everything up. And fuck everything up they did. You've got a guy getting out of his car with a bow and arrow, and then everybody beats the hell out of him, turns his car over in the middle of Main Street, and lights it on fire. And it's just a crazy situation, and I just want to say that it doesn't help that I-15 is literally a racial dividing point between the east side and the west side of Salt Lake County. And I can understand the frustration because I have a lot of friends on the west side of that demarcation line, and they are looked at very differently by cops, by store owners, and just by white people on the east side. And it sucks, and I'm with them all the way, and that's all I want to say about that because we have other things to talk about with our great guest. And before I introduce him, because I'm so damn excited, my co-host Paul Hogan is with us. How are you, Paul? Carlito, proud of Roman Abramovich. Chelsea, they have an exceptional track record, whether it be anti-Semitism, racism, or the handling of the coronavirus. Yes. And, you know, I expect the club, I I support to absolutely do the right thing and they have 
Yes. Okay, let me introduce our prestigious guest. You've heard him for years, I believe every Thursday on the Levitard Show. Uh, sometimes contentious, always interesting, always honest, and never personal. It is the host of the CBS Sports Podcast and YouTube channel, Nothing Personal with David Sampson. How are you? Hey, how you guys doing? Happy to be here. Thanks for joining us. Uh, yeah, if if any of you guys are not a, you know aware of who he is, he's the former president of baseball operations for the Miami Marlins before he absolutely fleeced Jeter with billions. <laughs> Unbelievable, unbelievable uh, businessman, unbelievable baseball mind, former lawyer, all around, bon vivant, enfant terrible, and an absolutely the most interesting person in every room he's possibly in. Let me just correct you quickly and say that I worked with Michael Hill, who is our president of baseball operations. I was actually the team president. Team president. I'm only saying that because I don't want to take anything away from Michael Hill, who actually is one of the last men standing under the Jeter regime. He's pretty much gotten rid of everyone who had my name in his or her phone. (laughs) But Mike Hill is still there. So the difference is he was just in charge of baseball. You were in charge of all of it, right? Correct. Okay, so he was president of the entire company. My mistake, David. Thank you for correcting me. Um, So the reason we we brought him on is because – he has such an interesting and unique take on sports business. And in, and in this particular time where it is crisis management, PR management, uh, some owners looking like shit, other owners looking like geniuses or, you know, true men of the people. I want to just bring up a couple things about Chelsea Football Club. And we won't take a ton of time on this, but I just want to say Roman Abramovich, uh, he's a Jewish guy from Russia, um, actually one of Vladimir Putin's best friends. He came up as one of the governors of uh, a Russian state. He was involved in the mob during the aluminum wars, probably killed a lot of people in the process, journalists and what have you, and competitors. But he eventually became the owner of Chelsea Football Club in 2003. And since 2003, he's been the most successful English owner in the entire English Premier League. Here are some examples of the profound positive impact that he has had just in the last four months. He has offered Chelsea's hotel and the second hotel to the NHS staff during the pandemics, National Health Services staff. Uh, He has kept the full-time staff uh, full pay for their jobs for the year. Casual and match day workers were to remain paid as if games were going on as usual, even though they're not. Uh, Fans were offered credit for tickets purchased through suspended match day games. Players, upon organizing with their great captain, Cis Rose Villacueta, decided on a 10% wage cut for four months. That wage cut is coming to an end because football is becoming available again and it will start being played on June 17th. Uh, And then one last thing is when I present what I consider to be the foremost in terms of good leadership in Roman Abramovich, David, which leaders in any sports across the landscape do you think were great in how they handled this? And who, th- who do you think really shit the bed? Well, when you're saying this, if you're talking about the events of recent weeks with Black yes. Lives Matter, if you're talking about COVID-19, if you're talking about general negotiations between owners and players or how players are treated, just tell me which arena because the list is lengthy. Uh, COVID-19, for sure. So let's start with COVID-19. I think that 
one of the problems that we're, we had early on in, in, as an industry, and I keep saying we, but it really is they, because I was out of the industry when this happened. As a matter of fact, right. I was on Nothing Personal and saying that this is quite a bit more serious uh, than everyone thinks, and there's going to be a positive test, and then sports are going to come to a crashing halt. Yep. And it was that day on March maybe 11th when Rudy Gobert tested positive, yeah. and it took the NBA two minutes to cancel its season. And what I realized is that Adam Silver, the commissioner of basketball, works with a, a much more loyal group of owners. I don't mean that they're psychophants. I don't mean that they agree with everything he does. I don't mean that there are not discussions that take place behind the scenes. But at the end of the day, they are understanding that Adam Silver is doing what's right for the league. In baseball, the commissioner has always had great power. Um, I worked under Bud Selig for many years and then Rob Manford. But the difference is that in baseball, you're always needing to speak to owners, trying to get owners on the same page, trying to explain to them as constituents what you're thinking of doing, why you're thinking of doing it, being questioned why you're acting in a certain way. Are you trying to hurt the big market teams? Are you trying to hurt the small market teams? <laughs> so there's always this, this veil of conspiracy and, and woe that owners believe is happening when the commissioner does something. So that led to yeah. baseball, in my opinion, being behind the times when it came to COVID-19 and acting not as quickly as they could have or decisively, even after postponing the season, they actually announced that it would be postponed two weeks. And then they had spring training going on for another day and a half. Which, of course, <laughs> they ended up walking back and taking back and changing. And that yeah. the reason is that there's so many owners in the ear of the commissioner, which is how it's always been in baseball. In terms of specific owners that I want to point out, I spent some time on yesterday's show talking about the owner of the Knicks, a man named James Dolan. And uh, <laughs> he is just a guy who ha has a real problem. And his problem is not being a racist. His problem is not being a sexist. And I'm not opining as to whether he's any of those. His problem is that he doesn't understand that owners are actually holders of community assets. Yep. And they're responsible during times of crisis to stand up and be heard. That doesn't mean that we're always going to be popular. I was not popular and I had to make very unpopular decisions and unpopular trades. I had to make business yeah. decisions that were unpopular, but during times of crisis, whether you're popular or not, you are being looked at to lead. And James Dolan has never been a leader. And that's always been his problem. He's in the greatest market in the world and he doesn't know how to lead. And that's become in the forefront, not just COVID, but black lives matter, but just start to finish. And owners really have been showing their true colors in that regard. Hey, David, uh, I know you want to um, talk about a few other owners, but I have to ask you, um, with James Dolan, and I also would equate this to our current administration, I don't think it's just that they don't get it. I think that they have hired people that are just there to agree with them. I think great leaders are the ones that hire people to help them with the tough decisions because I don't believe that any leader is capable of making every tough decision with a positive outcome. And I think the best way to do it is to surround yourself with people that probably know more than you about certain instances. Well, I think that you're bringing up something that's critical. And uh, it reminds me that I had someone working with the Marlins whose sole job, his literally the sole job 
was to disagree with every position I took on every issue, <laughs> both on and off the field. So smart. And I asked him to be the contrarian uh, because he's smart, if not smarter than I am, as smart as I am, maybe smarter. But mm -hmm. it is critical when you're in a position of leadership to understand that you're not going to get every decision right, but your job is to make decisions. So I always took that very seriously as the main focus of my job was to make decisions. And to do it, I wanted to get as many viewpoints as I could, understanding that at the end of the day, I was going to decide what was going to happen. But the more positive input I could have, the more intellectual input I could have, the more experiential input I could have prior to making a decision, the more basis I would have for that decision, which, by the way, still wouldn't make every one of them correct. But at right. least I would have a broader base of understanding. And I think many owners, it's not that... Um, they purposefully surround themselves with people like that. It's that they're so intimidating when in fact that's only masking their amazing insecurity, but they're so mm. faux intimidating that even people around them who are smart tend to not voice any opinion other than the opinion of the owner because they're worried about their job, their pay, their money, their status. And frankly, at the end of the day, most employees and most owners don't care and I know that sounds controversial, but at the end of the day, they just don't care as much as we want them to care. And that leads to sometimes poor decisions. Well, I'm sure they have a lot on their plate anyway. You know, they have. Who people... doesn't? That's yeah, exactly. I don't yep. agree with you. It's not an excuse. I don't agree at all. Everybody has a lot on his or her plate. And it drives me crazy when people use that as an excuse. Oh, I'm very busy. I'm very, I'm very important and very busy. Give me a break. Right. <laughs> David, that kind of plays into my next question, which is it makes me wonder how they got into those positions of power, influence, and control in the first place. But then I look at James Dolan and I know exactly how he got into that position of control. Well, listen, I'm going to speak on two sides of that because I got my job because the owner of the team was my stepfather. And yes. that is how I became executive vice president of the Expos. The thing about connections, family connections, he ended up divorcing my mother soon after we got into baseball, by the way. But the, the family connections are, are great for getting in the door, but they don't do squat to keep you in the door. Yeah. And when I got fired mm -hmm. by Jeter, I was the second longest tenured president in baseball at the time. And when you're dealing with a business that you're growing from a $100 million business to a billion dollar business, family doesn't mm -hmm. matter. And... So I'm not willing to give James Dolan a pass because he was fortunate. Uh, he has a, re a position of responsibility, and I don't care that he got it because it's a family business. There's a ton of people. There's family law firms. There's family dental firms. Uh, I'll talk about my dentist. His son is now in the practice. Am I okay. scared of letting him touch my mouth? No, because he trained, and he's a damn good dentist. But he got that job with his father because his father owned the dental practice. But that doesn't make mm -hmm. him good at root canal. Right. So I think that you have to judge people not on how they got in the door, but what they do once they have the door open and whether or not they can keep the door open. Right. But and this is credit to Pablo Astore for leaking this on his Twitter account the other day, but James Dolan sent an internal memo to his employees saying that we as a sports franchise are not qualified to talk about Black Lives Matter, when in fact, I really think he just didn't want to piss off the police union. But do you think that 
with this internal revolt that I surmise is happening from inside, is that going to affect his tenure moving forward? No, because when you're the when you are in his position, uh, the you, you don't go to war with your owner. Uh, okay. And here's what you do if you don't agree with your owner or your team president uh, and you state your case and you don't win. And by the way, that happens all the time. Sometimes my mind is changed by people and sometimes mm-hmm. it's not. And that's how it goes. Just like I would try to convince the owner to do certain things during my 18 years. Sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't. But we all move forward together as an organization. And if you can't move forward together as an organization, then you have to leave that organization. Mm-hmm. So the employees, and, and I know Pablo, and, and it's, it's an interesting mm-hmm. thing that he's saying, but where the rubber meets the road is that if these employees are having what he called players-only meetings, well, the fact yeah. is the owner's not at many meetings to begin with. So most meetings <laughs> would be then considered player-only meetings. The question is, are you going to mm-hmm. stage a coup? You can't. Are you going to release a statement on your own? You can, and you can do it under the umbrella of your personal accounts, but you are running the risk of losing your job. And some people will choose to lose their job rather than be silent. And I have great respect for that. Some people will not. And I have great respect for that too. But I don't think that James Dolan will change his point of view because a bunch of employees are having a meeting. Yeah, and, and I'll and I'll speak to this as well. Um, my father uh, used to be general sales manager for the company that you now work for, CBS. But he was locally here, and he did the TV deal for Deloitte Hanson's MLS team, RSL, and he he did it every year uh, for one of our uh, affiliate, you know, sister TV stations. And so, you know, we as a family were inextricably linked with RSL and the executives that were there. His best friend was president of media. And what happened was that people tried to stage a coup, but it was half-assed. And they were doing it against Deloitte Hanson, who's worth $4 billion and does not give a shit. Those people were asked to leave immediately, including my father's best friend. And he hasn't been back to Utah since. And so I have to agree with you that the owner at the end of the day doesn't have to give a shit. When you say a half-assed coup, are you being a consequentialist? Because are you saying it didn't work and that's why it was half-assed? Maybe it was a full-ass coup that was great, but it still didn't work. It didn't have everybody on board to begin with, so I'm sure there was leaks and Deloitte knew it was happening before it even happened. There you happened. go. If you're going to have a yep. coup, you better have your ducks in a row, not to mix metaphors. Oh, just – just <laughs> ask Ari Gold because <laughs> he, he knows he knows very well. So, Paul, I know you wanted to get into pay cuts and furloughing well, employees. Yeah, I wanted uh, I, kind of building on this. How does public backlash uh, kind of affect these things? We've seen in the Premier League, uh, basically all the clubs besides two reverse their decisions on furloughing employees. You know, John Henry and the Red Sox just instituted. Um, you know, a pay cut of sorts. Um, how does mm-hmm. public backlash work into that? I'm not sure what you mean of sorts. It was a pay cut of pay cut, uh, not of sorts. Yep. And, um, 
And, and <laughs> let's add to that list the Lerner family in Washington who cut minor league mm-hmm. uh, salaries of players from 400 to 300. And then the players said, mm-hmm. we're going to cover the difference. And then all of a sudden the owner decided, no, we'll pay the whole thing. Yeah. And uh, so there's two ways to answer that. Number one, in normal times, and I put a quote around normal because it's a horrific word, and it, it covers all sorts of evil. But in normal yeah. times, as a president of a team, I really don't care what the public says. Right. I don't care what the media mm-hmm. says. I don't pay attention to any of it. I've got PR people who will point out different parts of different articles. I don't listen to talk radio. I don't read anything other than what I'm given when there's something going on. And yeah. I know I've got reasons for my decisions and they're business related and my job is to run a business. But during times like this, it is critical not to be tone deaf. Yeah. I was always okay being tone deaf during, again, normal situations. But as an example, when Ozzie Gein in 2012, our manager spoke out at, in, in basically support of Fidel Castro, while it yep. didn't impact his ability to manage the team, which I thought was horseshit to begin with, um, it because we were in Miami, that was it. He was going to be fired. It was a matter of when, not if. And no matter what, I had no choice <clears throat> but to do that, even if I didn't agree with mm-hmm. it. Because there's certain third rail things that people in your organization cannot touch. And if they do, they're going to die. And I mean that obviously symbolically Mm -hmm. from a changing your philosophy because of the media. uh, It just means you've got bad advisors and you didn't, and you don't understand why you made the decision to begin with John Fisher of the Oakland A's, a billionaire in his own right, reportedly uh, (laughs) heir to the gap fortune, those clothing stores. uh, He actually got rid of all minor leaguers and isn't paying any of them. And there was tremendous backlash, but he didn't back down. And the reason he didn't back down is he had a sound business decision for doing it, and he didn't do it in a half-ass way. Cutting a guy from 400 to 300, I'm not sure I understand that because it makes a very big difference for a player to lose 25% of that measly pay. But when you're only cut and not released, you think, well, I still have a chance for the big leagues and to make $600,000, I'm going to stick it out. Whereas when you are completely let go as a minor leaguer, you say, listen, I don't even have a hope here. I better get another job, further my education, or do something else. So in in some ways, I could argue that it's more humane what John Fisher did. It may be more painful. It may be more um, vile to people. But in some ways, looking back, some of those players will end up being thankful. Right. But then you have Scott (laughs) Boris white knighting saying he will pay for all of his clients that are in the minor leagues will pay their salaries to you. you yeah. I just, I'd like to know how he's going to do it. Is he just going to have white envelopes with cash, like a traveling secretary and have the cash delivered by pony express? Is he doing it as a gift? So yeah. does he have uh, uh, the doing the annual gift to these players? So it's not taxable to them. Yeah. Or if that's the case, then mm-hmm. he doesn't get to deduct it. If he's doing it as an expense, then he gets to deduct it, but then the players have to pay tax on the amount of money they're getting. So I just would like to know from Scott, what exactly is the way he's doing it? Because my only experience with him is he doesn't help anyone. And, and I have been around him for years and, and, and my dislike of him has never been personal. It's always been business. 
because I know how he treats players mm-hmm. who don't make him money anymore. I've watched it. I've watched him deal with players who he has believes have passed the inflection point, meaning they can no longer provide for him and his company. And uh, it is sad and disgusting what he does. That is why I, I get on him a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd like to say this. You know, in the age of the 24-hour news cycle and how Twitter has become this new pseudo-journalism, or at least people that are on Twitter think they are the new journalists, I would say if there's some public backlash and you're an owner in what you would uh, call normal times, I would say wait 48 hours and everybody will forget about it. Well, it's interesting because we had a rule that I've talked about before, but I'll mention it on this show. I had had a 30-minute rule. And the 30-minute rule is, is what I would do to check myself to make sure I didn't do anything emo- when I was in an emotional state, either positively or negatively. Mm-hmm. So after a win, if you're all excited, you think you're never going to lose another game, and you may make a decision to add players or to trade for a player or to mortgage your future because you're so excited about that season or that player. When a player hits three home runs in a game plus the game-winning home run off your hated rival – you have a tendency to evaluate the player differently. Mm-hmm. And the other way as well, when things are negative, you think you're never going to win another game or that you should get rid of a player. Uh, I had a 30-minute rule when it came to after the last pitch, no transactions would take place within 30 minutes. And I kept that 30-minute rule <laughs> for things that would happen on the business side, that when there would be an, an act where I would need to respond, when there would be a negotiation with the player or something going on on the marketing or sales side, when there'd be a disagreement with the season ticket holder, whatever the case is, I sort of had a half hour rule that I would stick to for the very reason you said, which is if you don't remove emotion, you're almost guaranteed to tip the scales toward a bad decision. I'm sure that's uh, saved you a lot of uh, money. It has helped almost every single time. <laughs> so David, I want to ask you, and this is more of a macro question that applies to all of the clubs, but spending in and of itself, spending on players. Uh, I mean, that's, it's going to change. And how long do you think this is going to be affecting clubs and their budgets? Well, right now it's impossible for any teams to model what the future is going to be because there's no way to know if this is going to be a U-shaped recovery or a V-shaped recovery or a W-shaped recovery in the economy, meaning how quickly will revenues return to pre-COVID uh, levels And you've got owners right now who have lost so much money in their other businesses. Uh, You know, just look at right here locally. Mickey Arison owns the Heat in basketball, but also owns Carnival Cruise Lines. Mm -hmm. And it used to be that Carnival would subsidize the Heat. And now that's really not going to be the case anymore. So owners figuring out their payrolls. That's always been a function of revenue. And it would be a plug number. So we'd calculate what our local revenue, what our projected national revenue share would be, and then project what our revenue sharing amount would be. And then whatever amounts left over, put it into payroll Mm -hmm. uh, after other expenses like minor league development, minor leaguers, sales, marketing, basically your cost of goods sold. And the problem now is I don't know how I would model 2021. I'm going to be very conservative. I'm going to assume that maybe 25% capacity a team like the Marlins, we always assume 25% capacity, so nothing would change. <laughs> but a team like the Cubs or the Cardinals or the Dodgers or the Yankees really have to change and have different models. And in baseball, 
contracts are guaranteed. So if you're going to overextend yourself without knowing whether or not fans can come to games and whether or not if they can come, will they come, you may be uh, in for a terrible downside surprise. So I think it's going to be a very slow market this coming off season for free agents. And it'll have nothing to do with the new collective bargaining agreement that needs to be negotiated after 21. It'll have nothing to do with players um, uh, or owners being angry with players for not taking the deal the owners wanted here in 2020. Mm -hmm. It'll be actual CFOs and presidents telling owners, I cannot promise you that you are not going to lose your shirt if you have a payroll at this level. Yikes. Well, this just plays into an episode that you had previously where you talked about the specific person, Dak Prescott. And you've got people like Stephen A. Smith and Ryan Clark and Dominique Foxworth on fucking first take. So you need to pay this man this money. You need to pay the man this money. Number one, this is a salary cast for it. And number two, I think Jerry Jones is being incredibly shrewd by saying, I'm not giving you $175, $180 million because he thinks that the cap is going to go down. And I think it is too. What do you think? Oh, it's a guarantee the cap is going to go down both in the NFL and in the NBA. Yes. There are going to be teams in a lot of trouble in the National Basketball Association who signed players assuming that the cap would continue to grow at the rate it had been growing and that they would not have to budget for paying any sort of tax. But the fact is when you've got tons of guaranteed contracts – the NBA is going to have to figure out how to deal with that with the players because these owners are not going to stand for it where they have to pay players and they're over a, a new cap that has gone down because revenues are so far down. Don't forget, it's almost a year old already, but what happened in China was China. the beginning of this year with the NBA, and that gave the NBA a revenue hit. Add COVID-19 to that, Oof. and you've got a cap issue. Have has that TV issue with China been solved? Or are they still not playing our games? Yeah, it's been solved by not being shown. You know, just like, <laughs> here's the example I would give you when there are uh, tragedies, natural tragedies that happen, yeah. natural disasters, a hurricane in Miami. Everyone steps up and donates and, and tries to uh, help people who had been impacted. Uh, leagues come out with statements that we're there, we're supporting, we're raising money, we're giving a million dollars to hurricane relief, whatever the case may be. And then you go back to your dinner table, go back to your owner's suite, go back to your job. Meanwhile, the people impacted by the hurricane uh, are worrying about rebuilding their homes and that doesn't go away overnight. Yeah, I think that that is something very similar that's going to happen here is that th- these issues are going to last a long time and people yeah. don't realize it yet. Well, you, you talked about Mickey Harrison, which is a perfect example, but I'm going to bring up another one, and you constantly mispronounce his last name. It's Tillman Fertitta, but a lot of his money is tied up in shit that is not making money right now. Uh, for example, restaurants. He's a big restaurant tour, a big restaurant magnet, and, I mean, how can you be this over-leveraged and think that you can last as an owner, when you have enormous contracts like the ones at Houston Rockets? Oh, I think you're 100% right. And I think that he's going to have an issue because it's not just restaurants. It's also casinos. You know, Vegas is starting to reopen. But what will be the gambling revenue? Will people continue to come and use the hotels and and Mm -hmm. gamble at the rate they were prior to COVID in theory? But we just don't know. It's going to take some time. And in terms of leverage, many owners are leveraged, highly leveraged. That, Mm -hmm. believe it or not, is how many people get rich is they borrow a lot of money and they get rich off other people's money, meaning the banks or sometimes investors. And they rarely put personal guarantees behind it. Like what Vince McMahon did with Oliver Luck, 
in the yeah. XFL when he personally guaranteed Oliver Luck's contract reportedly. But then the rest of the XFL just went bankrupt and there's nothing anyone can do to get at mm -hmm. Vince McMahon's money. Owners are there's going to be some ownership changes. There's going to be a lot of insight into the real financial position. And I think fans are going to finally realize that owners are not making the type of money operationally from sports that people think. And right. this COVID-19 is really going to shine that brightly. Uh, it's a great question. It's a great response. Yeah. I have to ask you when it comes to ownership and you said that they're actually not as rich as people think they are. Do they look at it as like, I know that the RSL owner Deloitte owns like 70 different businesses. Hold on one second. I'm sorry. I just want to be clear. I didn't say they're not as rich as people think they are. What I specifically mm -hmm. said is that teams are not as operationally profitable as people think they are. Right, but this is going to play into my point. Okay. So De Deloitte did not just own RSL. He owned 70 different businesses, including my previous employer, which was ESPN Radio locally here in Salt Lake City under the umbrella of Broadway Media. He treated every single one of those businesses as its own entity, so he wasn't going to take revenue from RSL and plug it into Broadway media just because we were bleeding money. And does that, does that go the same with other owners where they treat their team as one thing and then their other businesses as something else and they don't use one revenue to plug holes in the ship of another uh, revenue disaster? Well, of course that's true, but let's talk about other businesses. Let's talk about a business that has five store locations. Let's say okay. it's a retail store with five okay. locations. And one of those locations is just not making money. It's not paying for itself. It doesn't even make enough to cover the rent. But the other okay. four locations do great and are profitable. There is not one owner of that company who would say, no problem. We're going to keep that fifth store right where it is. And we're going to fund that fifth store with the profit from the first four stores. You close that fifth store and you look for a better, different location or you realize that four stores is the right number for your company. So it's every single company that does what you're saying. And none of them fund losers with winners because what you're doing is hurting your winners. And the whole point of business is to make your winners bigger and to make your losers smaller. As that was a great analogy, the five restaurant thing. Well done, David. I'm going to steal that, by the way. Um, <laughs> uh, so I have to ask you another question, David. Um, and this one will play into my final thoughts with you. But you were famously fired by Jeter via text. Okay. And uh, we, uh, as a club, had just come off winning the Premier League title. And our manager, Antonio Conte, who's this Italian guy, he's a legendary player, but he is a visceral, reactionary, very prideful Italian dude. And he had a problem with our star striker, who was at the time the best striker in England, Diego Costa. He's from Brazil. And he fired that player via text as well. And I have to say, whether it's a manager with a player or, you know, a new ownership group with you, I think that any firing over text is weak shit to you you say what well in my last one minute here because i have to go i will say no this. problem i was not fired by jeter via text i found out i was being fired via breaking news alert which was a text uh, to my phone Jesus. so i got an alert from a member of the media when i was still the president of the marlins that said marlins president fired by jeter and i had <laughs> never not heard from jeter at all so i ended up calling him after i got that alert and that's when he fired me. 
<laughs> so he had leaked it or he had done whatever he had done. And I really couldn't care less. It was his problem. And uh, it didn't hurt my feelings. I actually helped him fire me because he had really not fired many people before. So I taught him sure. how to do it. And uh, good man. he's, uh, you know, he is who he is and it is what it is. But when you're in the public world, the way I've been for so many years, uh, you tend not to uh, let too many things bother you because if you do, you end up really being miserable and upset all the time and life yeah. is too short. So I don't let things like that bother me at all. Okay, David, I have one last final question for you. If you will humor me. Uh, I've listened to Dan Levitar since 2014. I love him. I love his show with his father as well. Do you think Dan, Dan is getting too cavalier with his content and in this era where, you know, politicians at the top are incredibly subversive and completely antithetical to his sensibilities. Do you think that he's going to cross the line and get himself fired. <laughs> that's uh, that's a tough question that, that, you know, Dan, Dan and I have a relationship often on the field and uh, I know he is a very passionate man. And when the mood strikes him, uh, sometimes he lets that passion um, bubble alongside of his responsibilities on air. Um, when you've mm. got a platform the way he does, it comes with great responsibility and it's hard. I mean, listen, I've I've got a smaller platform that's growing, and I think about all the time how to use that platform and how to make the world better and how to make myself better and how to uh, really feed off the audience and understand what the audience wants and needs and being yeah. respectful of that. But it's as you know, doing your own show, uh, it's not as easy as you'd think. Yeah, I just worry about, you know, four of his five producers have newborns, and he's responsible for them as much as that un is unfair to say he is that's his team. So I just, that's, that's what I think, but hopefully he doesn't uh, cross the line. Well, thank you guys it. so much. And uh, I've enjoyed this leadership, uh, responsibility and having thick skin. Thank you, David. Hey, take care you guys. Thank you. Thank you, sir. All Bye. Right.